Oh, how 
Van Buren, the governor, then governor of New York, wrote the following letter to President Andrew Jackson. The letter is dated January 31st, 1829. President Jackson, the canal system of this country is being threatened by the spread of a new form of transportation known as the railroads. The federal government must preserve the canals for the following reasons. One, if boats are supplanted by railroads, serious unemployment will result. Captains, cooks, drivers, hostlers, repairmen, and lock tenders will be left without means of livelihood, not to mention the numerous farmers now employed in growing hay for horses. Two, boat builders would suffer and towline, whip, and harness makers would be left destitute. Three, canal boats are absolutely essential to the defense of the United States. In the event of the expected trouble with England, the Erie Canal would be the only means by which we would be ever move the supplies so vital for waging modern war. As you may well know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Sincerely yours, Martin Van Buren, Governor of New York. Now, looking back after these many years, we chuckle at that. But what was Martin Van Buren really saying in that letter and saying to President Jackson? Here's what he was saying in a nutshell. I don't want change. I don't want to see change. I don't want our country to change. I don't want the means of transportation to change. He's like the Duke of Cambridge, who was once reported as saying, any change at any time for any reason is to be deployed, deplored. Now, that sounds like the old saying, come will, come woe, my status is quo. Uh, there's no change that I want in my life, no change that I want to see. You see, change, it's a word that's dreaded by many people. And this morning, we're going to take a break from our Revelation series. We'll return to it next week, God willing, and talk about this whole idea of change. You know, change is dreaded by many people because it means stepping out of our comfort zone. It can mean uncertainty and fear and stress and even resistance. But we've got to remember something very important, and that's this. All growth involves change. All growth involves change. Like it or not, we're always dealing with change. Our lives are not static. Our world is not static. Our church is not static. And obviously, we're going through some changes right now here at the moment in our church. We look around and realize this is not the way things were last week. We were next door and we were meeting next door and things were kind of normal to us, if you will. And now there's been this change. Now, when it comes to change, beloved, we can't just ignore it. We can't just pretend it doesn't exist. We eventually have to deal with it and respond to it and process it. And while I pray that we never, ever change the message that we teach and preach at Red Hill Baptist Church, we must be open to making changes in other areas of our church life. In fact, our own bylaws that we adopt as a congregation mention this in the very first paragraph. If you haven't read it, 
because uh, that's one of those documents that you approve and maybe you read it then. It's been 20 years, but actually we just reapproved it in the last couple of years. But maybe you didn't look at it. The very first paragraph, and I quote, says fundamental doctrines remain the same, but methods of communicating these doctrines may change to accomplish the mission of the church. That's in the very first paragraph of our own bylaws. Now, beloved, I'll be honest with you as your pastor and as a member of this church. I'm not in favor of making changes just to be making changes. I'm not into fads. I'm not into passing trends and the like. But I am in favor of making changes when it means it's going to help us to carry out the mission that God has given to us as his people and as this church. And you say, well, what is that mission, preacher? Well, if you were to keep reading in our bylaws that we've adopted, the very next sentence summarizes our, our, our mission like this. The mission of Red Hill Baptist Church is to glorify God, to grow more like Jesus, and to go with the gospel. And I believe the changes that we're making will help us to carry out that mission, not only now, not only in uh, the remainder of this year and the next year and in our lifetime, but I pray in the years to come that what we're doing will help us to carry out that mission. Well, let's just talk about this for a moment. We've got to complicate all of this because we've got to add another pressing question to this whole discussion when it comes to change. And that's this. Since this is not a new church, in fact, if I did my math correctly, we will be 155 years old next year. The oldest records go back to 1860. Uh, next year is 2015. How do we walk the delicate line of dealing with the past and the present and the future? In other words, how do we plan for the future while honoring the past and then living in the present all at the same time? That's a tough thing to balance, isn't it? To plan for the future, to honor the past, but then live in the present all at the same time. But, but before we launch into that, let's muddy the waters even more. We've got to factor in the idea and understand that we have different people that make up this church. You see, we have older generations we have younger generations, and we have up-and-coming generations. And so that all these all at the same time, all in the same church, and how do we balance all this? And then how do we plan for the future and honor the past, live in the present? We've got older generations. We've got a younger generation. We've got up-and-coming generations. How does all this work? John Maxwell reminds us that one generation cannot do without the others. He says the older generation is our link with the past. The younger generation is our link to the future, and we need both. And so I'm grateful because you go to a lot of places today and you have all one generation. But we're blessed because we have multiple generations here. Well, let's stir up the mud a little bit further. Because now you have to factor in the fact that there are new people that will come into the church. I mean, if we're doing what Jesus told us to do, to go with the gospel, see people saved, and then make disciples... Ultimately, they should be coming and they should be joining our church and being baptized and being assimilated to the church family. So now we not only have the current generations and the current group of people we have, now we have new people coming in. And so you say, well, how do we balance all this preacher? Well, beloved, you got to remember, first of all, this is how it should be. It should be this way. It should be made up of those of us that are here of varying generations and new people should be coming in. In other words, your Sunday school class should not look exactly the same every week. In fact, if it looks exactly the same every week, it's a reminder we need to get busy praying and inviting and reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only should there be new people in your class, really every person that comes should be different than they were the week before. Why? Because we're all to be maturing. 
and to becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just go ahead and accept this. As a church, change is always going to be a part of our life. And by the way, it has always been a part of our life. This is not the way it was 155 years ago. 155 years ago, this building didn't exist. That building didn't exist. And all throughout the history of our church, there have been changes. There's been difficulty. And, and you can go back and see just how different we are now than they were then. And we've got history books. You can go back and look and read and see just how much things have changed. In fact, I haven't read the history book and looked at it lately. Uh, but uh, here's the question about it. I haven't looked at it lately. But I understand in, in the old days, you men and women wouldn't even be sitting together, right? Didn't the men sit on one side of the ladies way, way back? And so here we understand there are changes that come about. So how do we deal with these changes? Well, I believe that Bruce Barton was right when he said, when you're through changing, you're through. When you're through changing, you're through. And if there ever comes a time in our church's life, in our personal lives, we say, you know what? I'm not changing anything else. And we're never going to change than the handwriting's on the wall. And we're through. So here's the question we're going to tackle this morning. It's a difficult question. How do we plan for the future while honoring the past and living in the present all at the same time. Well, I'm glad you asked. And uh, we're going to look at it together in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to find some help with this. Joshua chapter 1. And we've got a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. So look at Joshua chapter 1. And let's talk about this. How do we plan for the future while honoring the past and living in the present all at the same time? And that's what we're facing right now in our own church's life. Joshua chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, it came to pass, the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. All the land of the Hittites and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you, Wherever you go. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God has given you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest as he gave you. And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. 
Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So they answered Joshua, saying, All that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words, and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Now, beloved, this is such a rich, rich passage of Scripture. There's so much that we could talk about as we see the beginning of the conquest of Canaan and going in to claim the land that God had given to them. And there are so many lessons here, but I know you're going to want to go to lunch here pretty soon, and I'm going to want to eat lunch, and we've got work to do afterwards. So we're going to just kind of focus in on this thought of planning for the future while honoring the past. Planning for the future while honoring the past. And there are four main lessons that I want to impress upon your heart this morning. Four main lessons. Number one, here's the first lesson. Remember that God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. Remember that God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. Look again at the text, verses 1 and 2. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore... Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all those people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. God buries his work but carries on his work. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's not original with me. That's, that saying's been around for a long time. In fact, it was the great Methodist Charles Wesley uh, who is credited with that quote, but it's true. And we see it displayed here very vividly in Joshua chapter 1. Moses is dead. Now, Moses is that man of God that we stand in awe of. I mean, this is Moses. I mean, the great leader Moses, the the man of the book, but he's a man of flesh and blood just like we are. And all the Bible characters were, except the Lord Jesus Christ. He was flesh and blood, but also God. But these men and women, they were like us. And there came a day where this great man of God, whom, if you'll notice, the Lord refers to him as Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses, my servant. And really, that's all any of us are. Jesus said, if you remember in Luke 17, 10, So likewise, when you've done all those things which are commanded, you say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Serving the Lord is such a high honor, but Moses was simply a servant of the Lord. We could camp out there a while and we could uh, uh, preach about that for a while, but let's stay on task. Let's just notice Moses is dead, but notice the story does not end. Your Bible does not end with that sentence, and then that's it. We notice the very next words after it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Verse 2, now, therefore. Moses is dead, period. Now, therefore. Joshua, I'm through using Moses as the leader of the people, but I'm not through with my work. I'm going to use you now. I'm going to work through you and in you. And God used Joshua, and God has used many others. As you think about Red Hill Baptist Church, God has used many, many women over the 154 years. And many of them are in heaven right now. But you know what? He's still working. And the work is still going on. And he's not through it. He's not finished. And while we may stop and weep a while when one of those loved ones is taken from us, we don't stay there. We get back to work. We get back on mission. And we live our lives for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, while we won't focus on it, it's worth noting that God prepared the next leader for his people. Uh, He prepared him under Moses. Uh, Joshua, as you know, is referred to uh, there as uh, Moses' assistant. 
And if you go back and do a study sometime, you can see how God brought Moses and Joshua together and you can kind of trace their lives together. And throughout that time, God was preparing Joshua to step into the sandals of Moses. And it's a reminder to us, beloved, that we should be preparing others to take our place. Because there's coming a day where our time will come and we will not be here, but the work must go on. And so we need to be helping prepare the younger generations to follow us. It's also a good reminder that we're to serve wherever the Lord has placed us. Whether it's a place of position of leadership or it's assistant or whatever, we serve where the Lord places us. So here's lesson number one. You got it? Remember that God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. Lesson number two. You ready? This is an important one. Learn from the past. But don't live there. Learn from the past, but don't live there. Now, the Lord is speaking to Joshua in verses three through seven. I want you to see what he says to Joshua. And as we read these verses again, notice how the Lord refers to his past dealings with Moses and the fathers. Now, the Lord is speaking there in verse three to Joshua. Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you as I said to Moses. He begins talking about that. Then drop on down there to verse 5. He says this, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Uh, he co- goes on talking to him. Look at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Now the Lord is pointing Joshua at this point to the past. He's reminding Joshua of God's faithfulness and God's promises and God's protection. And he reminds him of what he's done in the life of Moses and through Moses. And he reminds him of the past. But did you notice as we read through there the first time, he kept him firmly headed into the present and future. He reminds him of the past. Here's what I've done. Here's how I've kept my promises. Here's how I've worked through Moses. Here's what I've been doing. But he, he keeps him headed where? From this day on. He keeps him headed into the future. Now, we need to learn from the past. We need to learn from the past, but not live there. What I mean by that is we don't need to be so filled with the memories of the past that we're hindered in the present and handicapped for the future. We can't live in the past. We've got to accept that, not only as a church, but also as individuals. As much as we'd like to, we cannot live in the past. We can't live in the good old days. Sitting around longing for the way things used to be, wishing we could return to them, wishing things that could be better like they used to be. But can I just burst that bubble this morning? Warren Wiersbe said this, and you get mad at what he's about to say. Don't get mad at him. I'm just quoting him. Here's what he said. The good old days are often a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. Now, what you think about that? The good old days are often a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. We're not called to serve God in the past. We were not placed here in 1829 or 1860 or whatever. We were placed here at this moment. We're here now. We're to serve him now. Aren't you glad that Joshua and the leaders of Israel didn't sit around talking about the good old days and not say, you know what, we don't want to go into the promised land. We don't want to go into the conquest. Let's just talk about the good old days, the crossing of the Red Sea. Boy, you remember that? There's only two, really, that were there, right? Joshua and Caleb's the only ones that survived. And so they talk about, oh, the good old days. Remember we crossed the Red Sea. Remember when Pharaoh's army was all swallowed up and they, oh, they drowned? How great that was. Remember when the water came out of the rock? Remember the manna from heaven? But in reality, many of those days were not that good. Can I just remind you that Joshua and Caleb had been at one long funeral that lasted 40 years. 
They've been wandering on waiting for a generation of people to die. Now think about that. Because of disobedience, because of the spies bringing evil report, because of the rebellion against God's will. And no doubt they learned from that. And I think they were even more determined. And you look at Joshua, you look at Caleb, how God used them. Even Caleb is an older man. Give me this mountain. But they were not going to sit around and say, listen, I wish we'd go back to the good old days. No, they said, listen, we're going to serve God here and in the future. Now, we learn from the past. We don't we don't ignore it. We don't you know, just try to erase it. We learn from the past. We don't live there. You see, past successes and past failures need not hinder us from walking in faith now from this moment on. And so we find that here in Joshua 1. Lesson 1, remember that God buries His workmen but carries on His work. Lesson 2, learn from the past but don't live there. Because in reality, beloved, we can't live there. We cannot turn back the clock. We've got to live from this day on. Lesson 3. This is an important one. Make God's Word your guide and measure of success. Make God's word your guide and measure of success. Now, verse 8 is probably one of the best known verses from this passage. And I want you to see the Lord is still speaking to Joshua in verse 8. Here's what he says. Joshua 1.8. He says to him, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good what? Success. God says to Joshua, I want you to keep my word. Now, of course, he didn't have the completed Bible like we do, but the word that they had at that time. He says, I want you to keep my word in your mouth, in your heart, and in your life. I want you to be guided by my word. I want you to obey my word. I want you to make my word your measure of what you're to do and, and so forth. And as we seek to serve the Lord here, Personally, in our own lives, in our families' lives, in our church life, beloved, we are not left to our own wisdom and resources. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad of that. I'm glad that God didn't just save us. Okay, good luck. He doesn't do that. He's given us such wonderful resources, and we are to be in this book. And, beloved, we must read it and memorize it, meditate it, and allow the Word of God to master us. It's to be our constant companion. As you notice there, day and night, there's never a time where we do not need it. There's never a time when we should not obey it. And God has given us the wonderful gift of His Word. He's given us His indwelling Holy Spirit as believers. He's given us prayer. He's given us Godly counsel. He's given us each other. And so we need to take advantage of these things, these wonderful gifts, and we're to be guided by the Word. You know, in the church today, in our world, there's all kinds of messages. And maybe I notice them more than you do because I'm a pastor and as I seek to seek God's will and what He'd have us to do here. There's all kinds of messages of what a church should do and what a church should be and how a church should run and how a church should act and what a church should give to and how to measure success. But the problem with a lot of those messages, you know what it is? It's not found here. It's pragmatism. Whatever works, do it. Whatever draws a crowd, do it. That's not what God has told us to do. He's told us to go and make disciples, not make a crowd. Now, we pray many will come. But we're to be guided by this book. And we're to be guided by it, but also we're to make it our measure of success. This is so important. Because in these messages we hear in the world today, there are those who want to define success in ministry for us today. And often the measure of success are the three B's. You know what they are? They say a church is successful when they've got lots of buildings and big budgets and lots of bottoms in the seats. And they say that's success. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with those three things. We need buildings. We need budgets. We need bottoms in the seats. 
But that's not the true measure of success. Success is knowing and doing the will of God and leaving all the consequences to him. Success is following God's word and following God's will. For example, when it comes to winning souls for Christ, you're seeking to witness, you're out soul winning. That's an old phrase we used to use a lot. We don't use this much today. We need to get back to it. When you're out soul winning, seeking to share the gospel with people and see them come to faith in Christ. When you're out soul winning, would it surprise you if I told you this morning that success in soul winning is not someone getting saved? Now, I want you to process that for a moment. Success in soul winning is not someone getting saved. Success in soul winning is you sharing the gospel. That's success in soul winning. Say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, here's what I mean. God didn't tell us to go out and save anybody because we can't. God told us to go out and make disciples and share the gospel and share the Lord Jesus Christ and leave all the rest to him. And so we can go out this afternoon and knock on doors and go soul winning and share the gospel. And I've stood here many times in this pulpit and in the pulpit next door and share the gospel. And it seems like nobody responds. Does that mean I'm a failure? No. Not if I faithfully share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's success because he told me to go and share the gospel. And so if you witness to a co-worker and they don't get saved, but you don't have to feel like a failure. Because you can't say, you have to be faithful to obey God and what God's told you to do. And God has told us to share the gospel. Do we want to see them saved? Absolutely. Are we praying they'll get saved? Yes. Do we rejoice when they do? Yes. Do we feel better when they do get saved? Absolutely. We've got to get biblical about this and realize that success is being guided by and obeying the word of God and leaving all the results and all the consequences and everything else to him. Now, beloved, success is knowing and doing the will of God. And we do that whether we see lots of buildings and big budgets and lots of bottles in the seats or not. We're to be faithful to what God has told us to do. So success is knowing and doing the will of God. And to do that, we've got to be where? Got to be in this book. Searching the scriptures, finding out what God has told us to do and be faithful to it. Well, three lessons down. Remember that God buries his work with it, carries on his work. Learn from the past, but don't live there. Number three, make God's word your guide and measure success. Now, here's number four. This is an important one. This is where a lot of people get messed up right here. I think especially younger leaders and pastors and people, they forget this important point. And we find it here in this scripture. Here's number four. Build upon the good work of those who've gone before you. Build upon the good work of those who've gone before you. That's an important key. You just point out that there are three voices speaking in the rest of these verses, verses 9 through 18. First, there's God's voice, then there's Joshua's voice, and there's some of the people speaking back to Joshua. Look at verse 9. God is speaking to Joshua again in verse 9. Have I not commanded you be strong and of a good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then Joshua begins talking in verse 10 through um, verse 15. And I want you to notice as he speaks here, I'm not going to read all the verses for time, so I'm going to point out a couple of things. I want you to notice as we read through here and skim through it, that he's building upon Moses' work. Notice what he says there, verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, pass to the camp, command the people, so forth. Then verse 12, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-trap of Manasseh, those who were going to inherit on the other side of the river, remember, but they had to go fight. Joshua spoke to them, saying, look at verse 13. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Look at verse 14. 
There in the middle of the verse, your wives, your little ones, your livestock remain in the land which Moses gave you. Keep reading down to verse 15. Uh, there near the end of the verse there. Then you shall return to the land of possession and joy, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. And then the people respond to Joshua in verses 16 through 18. So they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us we will do and wherever you sit us we will go and so forth. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only let the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses and so forth. Now over and over again, Joshua is encouraged to do what? To be strong and of good courage. He needed that. I want you to think about stepping in the sandals of Moses. He needed strength. He needed encouragement. But did you notice as he talks here, he honors Moses and his leadership, doesn't he? He honors the Lord and Moses. He doesn't ignore Moses. Uh, He doesn't try to uh, point out Moses' shortcomings. Say, well, you know, Moses is not going because he disobeyed. He doesn't mention that. Uh, He doesn't try to tear down Moses. He doesn't try to erase Moses from their memories. He builds upon the good work which the Lord had begun in Moses and through Moses. And young leaders would do well to understand that. That we build upon the good work of those who have gone before us. Because it reminds us this work that we're involved in is not ultimately ours. This is God's work. This is the Lord's work. This is His church. And we're just one length of a long chain that has come to accomplish this mission. And here we are 154 years later uh, in this church. And there's been minister after minister. And Sunday school teacher after Sunday school teacher and worker after worker and choir member after choir member and labor after labor and man and woman and those who have come before us. And now here we are at this hour. We're to continue the good work that's been started. It's just a reminder of what 1 Corinthians 3 says. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. Because listen to what he says in that. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You see what's going on there? There were those camps saying, well, I I like it when Paul preaches. Well, I like it when Paul preaches. There was a division there, an ending and strife. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? Paul writes, I planted Apollos water. Listen, but God gave the increase. He says in verse 7, So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Man, it sounds a lot, a, lot, a lot like what Jesus says, didn't he? We've done all that we've been commanded. Just say you're unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty. It says in verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. In other words, the work and the glory is God's. And Joshua didn't do the work alone. In verse 10, he commanded the officers and the people. And he begins to work together and labor together. We're fellow laborers here. It's not me and my group over here and you and your group over here. We're together. There's unity in the body of Christ. And we're called together to faithfully labor for the Lord Jesus. We're on the same team. Better yet, let's be biblical. We're in the same family. The family of God. And God uses the Moseses and the Joshuas and those whose names we've never heard. But God gets the increase and God gets the glory. There are people in the history of this church that we don't know their name. They've been long forgotten. But God used them. And God rewarded them. There's people here now that 
If the Lord does not return first, if this church, I pray, continues to go on until Jesus comes again, there will be those who won't remember our names. That's not what matters, beloved. What matters is that God knows you, and God knows what you do, and God will reward your work for what you're doing. Because we're fellow laborers together in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, beloved, let's build upon the good work of those who have gone before us. Let's make God's word our guide and measure of success. Let's learn from the past and thank God for it, but not live there. And let's remember that God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. We have a limited time here. We have a limited time. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, C.T. Studd said. And so we want to labor together for God's glory. And God has put you here. God has put me here. God has put us here for this hour in our world, in our nation. And He desires for us to be faithful to Him. And He desires for us to be flexible and be willing to go where He sends us and do what He tells us to do. And to work together in unity and peace and harmony to carry out His work in this generation for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may I just say that we're living in tough times, to say the least, when you look at what's going on in our nation and our world. And beloved, I really believe there could be a day in the near future where we're called upon to make some very tough stands that will cost us greatly. But what do we say? Our measure of success is not in the world's eyes and it's not in things that we necessarily can measure. Our success is what? Knowing and doing the will of God. This is our guide and our measure of success. And I pray that we'll be faithful till either Jesus comes and takes us all home or until us, we individually, one by one, are called home. But we know this. God buries his workmen, but he carries on his work. Are you working for the Lord this morning? Would you bow your head and eyes with me this morning and close your eyes? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, today is the day to meet him as your Lord and Savior. We'd love to talk with you about that. The majority of the message has been to those of us who know him, those of us who call Red Hill our home, those of us who are laboring for him now. I wonder today, with the Lord's help, will you say, I will labor faithfully to the Lord, for the Lord, until he calls me home. Would you do that today? Say, Lord, I just want to make a fresh surrender to you. If you'll use me, I want to be your workman. I, I, I want to labor for you. I want to be faithful to you. And would you also do this? Would you give this whole matter of change to the Lord? I know sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's stressful. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes we want to keep our own way. But would you just give this matter to the Lord? Say, Lord, help me to deal with whatever changes you bring, not only in the church, but in my life. And help us to be faithful to you. Help us to only do what you'd have us to do. But Lord, when you guide us, would you help me to be willing to say, you know what? I'm going to take that step of faith as well. And we're going to trust God in these things. All of us face change. You face on a personal level. Some of you are going through some things in your own personal life right now. Some great changes and some great challenges. Would you give that to the Lord today? He cares. Here's the great thing about it, though. We don't understand and see the future. He's already there. He's already there. He can handle the things in your life. Would you give those to him today? Father, thank you for Joshua and for Moses and for all these leaders, Joseph, others that we study in Scripture. Lord, we know that you use them. Lord, you desire to use us. Help us to surrender ourselves to you. 
to be that clay in the potter's hand. To say, Lord, however, whenever, whatever you desire to make of me and make of us, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we rejoice and we thank you for those who have been faithful. We don't take for granted that a church would stay true to the gospel for 150 plus years. We thank you for those who faithfully stood for the truth and preached Christ. And Lord, now it's our turn. Help us not to drop the baton. Help us be passing on to the future generations that will come after us. Lord, we look for your coming. We long for your coming. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. But if you do not come in our lifetime, if you do not come in our generation, Lord, help us to be faithfully doing your work and seeking your will, that we are passing that baton to the following generations, to our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Thank you for allowing us to play a part in this great process as you see your gospel carried to the ends of the earth. Father, I pray, I believe there's probably some here in the room today that are dealing with some great personal challenges and personal changes. And I pray for your grace, and I pray for your help. I pray that you would help all of us to seek your will and depend upon you. And Lord, I pray if anybody's here today that does not know you, I pray that you'll bring them to saving faith in Christ today. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't really have an altar in front of us, friend, but if you would want to come and pray today, there are chairs on the front here. You can come and kneel and pray. If you want to pray with, if you want me to pray with you, I'd love to do that. But we're going to stand and sing the closing song on your song sheet there. Uh, higher ground, I'm pressing on the upper way, new heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And I trust you'll be praying for wisdom during these days, that God will get his honor and glory here and God's will be accomplished. If you have a need today, we invite you to come and I remind you as we close the service in prayer, two things important. Take your box with you and don't run off. We need your help to rearrange things here. But right now we're going to stand and sing and you come pray if you need to higher ground. Let's stand and sing. Pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I'm onward bound, Lord plant my feet on high.